following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church at Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. Here today with you all, like you said, my name is Josh, I'm the lead pastor here, and we are continuing our series in Philippians. I just felt it appropriate, I just wanted to say a few things before we start. You know, we, my, the topic today is about joy in worry, joy in worry. Um, but I thought, man, before we get into this, I really want to just say, like, just as a pastor to his, his people and to, to, our, to our church, just um, maybe you've been coming to church here, and this has just kind of been your regular thing. But I believe with all of my heart that church is not just about a place like we're doing church in the park next weekend, so that doesn't mean we're not doing church. It means we're doing church because we are the church, and it's just we're meeting in the park. But I believe it's more even than just the gathering of people. Really, church is about people's hearts coming together. It's about people coming together because they believe in the mission of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They have a vision for coming together, and one of the things we're going to be doing is just that trying to bring our church together, unite us, and bring us closer on a vision and on Jesus's mission. Because that's what we're here to do, right? He gave us the Great Commission, and so he wants to have us come together and unite us to then see us step out on vision. And, I be, and I'm, I've been praying about it. The staff and I have been working through it. We have a vision that we're working through that we're going to be bringing to you guys probably in the next couple months, if, if not earlier. And so I'm excited about some of the things that happens, but really what's got to happen around that is that we've got to come together as a church. We've got to unite and get to know each other and also be able to to come around that vision. Amen? Amen. Because I believe that church is more, like I said, than just showing up on Sundays. Church is about being a part of a community that's on purpose. It's about a community that's on purpose mission together. And I believe that's really, that's why, that's the, that's the cry of our hearts. That's what we all really want to see in our lives. And uh, so we're going to be doing that. We're going to be bringing people together. And, and I'm going to call, probably call you and try to have coffee with you because I believe that this is more than just about showing up, but there is something God wants to do in and through Canyon Ridge Church, and I'm excited about it, and I want to let you guys in on it, and I want to invite you to be a part of it because it's some, some, going to be some amazing things that are going to be happening. Amen? Are you with me? Yeah. All right. Let's, let's pray together, and I'm going to ask you to do something special. I'm going to ask you to stretch your arms out. Just stretch your arm out like this. Stretch it forward. Stretch your arm out like this. This isn't stretching towards me. This is stretching towards God's vision and God's mission. And that God would unite something. Because I believe that each and every life in here longs for something greater in their life. They long for something greater than just the mundane, the ho-hum, the humdrum of daily life. They long for something greater in their life. They long to be a part of something. And I believe that God wants to do that. And so as we move into this message today, I know that God will meet you right where you are. But you've got to have a heart of fertile soil that you're willing to receive the word, that you're willing to receive what God wants to do in your life. So let's pray that God would not, not only speak that message, but that our hearts would be prepared to receive that message. Let's pray. God, thank you for this word today, Lord. Thank you, God, that you are a God that is in control. You are a God that is on mission. 
You are a God that loves us so much that you sent your one and only son so that none should perish, but all should believe and have eternal life through Jesus Christ, your son, God. God, I pray that you would anoint our hearts this morning, God, that you would open up our hearts and minds this morning because I know there's a battle for hearts and minds in, in this world right now. There's a battle that it, it's Facebook is trying to take hearts and minds and um, the ads and marketing is trying to take hearts and minds, God. And, and there's the news is trying to take our hearts and minds and so much stuff is trying to implant so many different things in our hearts and minds that will pull us away from you, away from your community, God. And I pray against those things and I, and I pray ultimately, God, that you would give us a heart to receive your word today, Lord. In your precious name we pray, amen. Thanks, guys, for that little excursus, that little time away. But I just thought, you know, let's, let's open up ourselves up and begin to see that we serve a God that is real and that is present. Because today I'm talking about joy in worry. And I believe that it's in the times that we're worry, worrying that we need to know that God is present. And so Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 4, verse, verse 4, as we, we move and continue in the series, Philippians, <coughs> developing a true life of joy, this is what he wants to tell us. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace. That's what I want. I want God's peace in my life. And we're going to explain that a little bit more. Which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. What a great scripture that we have to speak to us this morning when we're worried about not having sun on a summer, when we're worried about it being gray and cold and rainy for the rest of the summer. God wants to speak to us in our worry. And Paul is telling us, rejoice. He's, he's saying it again and again and again. I'm kind of sensing a theme in this book of, of joy. Rejoice. And, and, and some of us are like, Paul, you don't understand. I have, I have trafficked. I've got to go through. I have a work in a cubicle. My coworkers are jerks. I can't even watch the office because it's too close to home. And it's so difficult, all the different things that I go through. Well, Paul understands because Paul is in a prison facing a death sentence. He is in one of the worst situations possible. Now, he's probably, his situation is worse than yours because if you were in his situation, you wouldn't be here right now. And so, thank God for that. So, he, Paul is going through a difficult situation, but he's learned how to have joy in the Lord when there would be so much for him to be worried about. He says, be considerate of others. I believe that Paul can say, be considerate of others because he has considered his own circumstances. And there's nothing about his circumstances that would bring him joy. But what he's considered is that he has God that's near him. 
He, you see, you can be considerate of others when you've considered that God is in your situation. That's what he says. He can say, rejoice in the Lord in verse 4, because in verse 5, he says that the Lord is near. In our translation, it says the Lord is coming soon, but the, the Greek translation literally says the Lord is near. It could mean time or place. So in other words, God is, is here and God is now in your circumstances. We've got to believe that, that, it, that our faith is, is worth so much to us because God is present. If we don't believe that, we are in trouble in our lives. If God is not here, if God's not present, then we are in trouble in our situations. But, but we believe that God is near us. And because God is near us, we have his power in our lives. We have his presence in our lives. And because of that, we can consider our, our circumstances. And we know that we are, are blessed no matter what's happening. We're blessed because the blessor is with us. The one who gives all blessings is with us. Amen? Yes. Amen. So he is near us. He's, he's with us. And because of that, we are blessed. And, you, and then we can be considerate of others. See, one thing that stops us from being considerate of others is, is when we're worried about our life. When we're worried about our life, we're focused on ourselves, and we're focused on our own problems, and so we can't help anybody else with their problems because we're too focused on what we have. We're too focused on, on everything that's going wrong with us. And so Paul says, don't worry about anything because he wants us to experience the joy that comes from living a life for others. That's what real joy happens, is when we can live a life for others, when we can be considerate towards others, knowing that the Lord is near, because then we know we're taken care of, because God is with us. And so we can start worrying about others. We can start being concerned about others, because we're not so worried about ourselves. Okay, I think you get it. Y'all follow me still? All right. So he says, don't worry about anything. You know, we are a people that are worried. I know what it is to be worried. I was younger. I was probably eight, seven or eight, and my parents were watching Poltergeist. And if, if for any of you who don't know, Poltergeist is like, it's one of those older, scary movies. It probably wouldn't be that scary to some of the younger kids now because apparently things are a lot scarier. I struggle with, I cannot watch a horror movie. I just, it would stick with me for weeks and weeks and weeks. And in this case, for decades and decades. And so um, I watched Poltergeist and there's a part in the movie Poltergeist. Uh, my parents put this on. They didn't think I was watching it. They thought I was asleep. You know, that thing for you, for you parents out there where you think the kids are asleep and so now you can watch your movie. Like you don't have to watch like Star Wars or like some kind of like gummy bears or whatever the cartoons are today's. There's a cartoon on now called The Day My Butt Went Psycho that my kids want to watch, which is not a very good cartoon. I won't mention it again. So the kids won't in the room don't want to watch it. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's that time when, and so my parents were watching Poltergeist because I thought I was gone, but I had crept around the corner to watch what they were watching, and they didn't know this. Well, I crept around the corner just at the moment where there's that creepy clown in the movie Poltergeist. Some of you might not know it. You might not know this movie, but there's like this clown puppet. Any clown puppets are evil. It's just don't have clown puppets. They, they just, ah, they scare me to death. And 
So this thing comes to life, and, and this boy is by himself in his room, and it's dark. And this thing comes to life, scurries under his bed, and then, like, tries to strangle him. And ever since that moment, I, I have always been afraid of clowns. This irrational fear of clowns, clown phobia. My wife, um, her brothers, taunted her with frogs when she was younger, so she's afraid of frogs. Um, my kids, they're afraid of, uh, at times uh, of bugs. And so there was this one time I was trying to get my kids to go up and brush their teeth, um, but they, they, ran up, they went upstairs to go brush their teeth, and they ran back downstairs. Because they said, Dad, there's, there's an ant in the bathroom, and I can't brush my teeth. I'm, I'm afraid of the ant. I said, boy, you better, get, better be afraid of me, not afraid of the ant. Get upstairs and brush your teeth. And so we all have these different irrational fears in our life, but uh, these worries. But there's also real worries that we experience too. Things like we worry about our finances and am I going to be able to pay the bills or we worry about our career and am I going to get to do what I really want to do in my life and we worry about our marriage and is our marriage going to keep going well and are we drifting apart or we worry about our kids and the direction they're going to take in their lives and we worry about our friends and our family and there's so many things to worry about and we are a nation now that is letting worry overtake us and we are drowning in our worry. There was a survey by the Anxiety and Depression Association of America and it said that 40 million people, 18.1% of the adult U.S. population over the age of 18 are affected by anxiety and worry. Here's what it also found, that anxiety disorders cost the U.S. more than $42 billion a year. That's almost one-third of a $148 billion total mental health bill for the United States. I mean, this stuff is, is epidemic. We are a worried nation. People with anxiety disorders are three to five times more likely to go to the doctor. They're six times more likely to be hospitalized for psychiatric disorders than non-sufferers. And the point is that life causes anxiety. It was true 2,000 years ago. It was just as true today that we are worried. And, and to worry is to give way to our unease. It's to um, dwell on the difficulties or troubles in our life. That's what worry is. And, and there's this word, the word for worry in, in, the, in the Greek. I love this because it's so it so gives a good idea of what worry is. It, the word is merimnate, merimnate, and it means to be burdened with troubles. Um, merimnate, I love it because it's so close to our word marinate. That when I marinate chicken, I love some of this um, good chicken teriyaki that I made, and so I take chicken thighs and I marinate it in, in Panda Express teriyaki sauce, and for, for a little while, and then I barbecue it, and it's awesome, and I love it, and it's so good, and I'm sure you all are hungry now. Um, <laughs> but um, I marinate it, and what do I, what do I do? What is marinating? It's sitting and soaking in the teriyaki sauce. That's what we're doing when we're worrying. We're sitting and soaking in our troubles, and so we begin to smell like our troubles. We begin to smell like fear. We begin to smell like greed. We begin to smell like lust. And some of you, woo, you stink of fear in your life. I, we can stink because we're marinating 
in, in a, the troubles of our life. And that's what happens when, when we're worried is we begin to marinate. And, the, and as we marinate in the troubles, the troubles grow larger and larger and larger. And we grow smaller and smaller and smaller until we can't move the troubles that we're facing. And we become marinate. I love the word nate. It means like knots, like you're, you're in a knot. You're tied up. You can't do anything. You're incapable of being able to do anything because your worries have, have made you feel like you're stuck, like you can't do anything. And, and Peter, the apostle, experienced this uh, too. See, let me set the stage a little bit. Uh, Jesus had just fed the 5,000, fed 5,000 people miraculously, and, and he was kind of getting tired of people. He needed to go recharge and go, go pray. Of course, Jesus was never tired of people, but he needed to get some time by himself. And so he sent the disciples ahead, and I'm sure he's like, man, those disciples, they just need to get away from him for a little bit and go pray with God, to God. And so he sends the disciples to the other side of the lake, and so they're on a boat. And as they're on this boat, this storm comes, and the waves start crashing against the boat. And you can imagine the rain's pouring down. It's kind of hazy. And, and Jesus is praying, and then he decides that it's time for him to go meet them on the boat, but the boat is still on the water, so Jesus has got to walk across the water. So Jesus is like walking across the water, you know, his awesome miracle, and he's probably like skating or something, trying to catch up with the boat. And so he gets out there, and he's coming up to the boat, and one trans... one. Gospel says it looks like he's going to pass by them. So he's like, I'm going to beat them to the other side. Jesus is being competitive or something. Like he's on a race. But he, um, he's going and they see him and they say, they think it's a ghost, right? Because remember the rain, the waves, they can't see really well. But they see this figure on the water skating by them. And, and, they, and, they, they, and they say, you know, they get all afraid. And, and Jesus said, Lord, it says, it says, it's me. Jesus says, hey, guys, it's, it's me. It's Jesus. And so we pick up the story there. In Matthew 14, 28, it says, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on water, and came toward Jesus. But, the, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid and, beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? See, Peter, when he, when he was looking at Jesus, when he was focusing on Jesus, then he was able to walk through the storm. But it's when he took his eyes off of Jesus and looked at the storm around him, that's when he began to drown. And I believe that's such a good picture of, of worrying that when we worry, we, are, 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 we, we take our eyes off of Jesus and we start looking at all the things going wrong around us. And we marinate, we dwell on our troubles. And then what do we do? We drown in them. We drown in our difficulties. We drown in our troubles because we believe that they are bigger than God because we've taken our eyes off of, of Jesus. And I believe Paul is telling us to flip our focus, to flip our focus from worrying and to flip our focus from drowning in our doubt because at its core, he, Jesus says to Peter, why did you doubt? He doesn't say, why, did you, why, did you, why were you afraid? 
What he says is, why did you doubt? Because worrying at its core is doubting God. It's doubting that God is near. It's doubting that God is present. It's doubting that God is able. That's what worrying is. It's, it's drowning ultimately in our doubt. And that's where Peter was. Peter was drowning in his doubt. But at, at, at the beginning, he was floating on faith. Jesus didn't change the, qual- the properties of water. There wasn't something that, that about the water. We like to think that maybe Jesus somehow changed the water so that we could do it too. But if you think that you can walk on water, get your swimming trunks, drive to the beach or to a lake or something, and see if you can walk on water. See, Jesus didn't change the water. What J- Peter walked on was he walked on faith, on the word of Jesus. Peter literally walked on C-O-M-E, come. That's what Peter was walking on. He was walking on faith. You see, when we fix our eyes on Jesus and we walk on faith in life, then we can walk through the storms rather than drowning in the storms of life around us. So we've got to flip our focus from worry to worship through prayer. From, we've got to flip our focus from worry to worship. See, when, when we worship, that shows what, what, we, what is ultimate value in our life. So a lot of times, your worries show your worship. Your worries show your worship. If you're worried about money all the time, then you might just have to look at, am I really serving money? Is money my God? Is money the thing that's an ultimate value in my life? If, if you're worrying about your marriage or about your kids all the time, then is that what's an ultimate value in your life? Because whatever is ultimate value, the most important thing is what you worship. And so your worries can often show your worship. So when that big giant obstacle is in front of you, threatening you, do you respond by turning to God? Or do you respond in fear of the giant, cowering of the giant obstacle that's in front of you? How do you, how do you respond to the obstacles of life? Because our first response could be in either, either prayer or it could be turning to people. And oftentimes we want to turn to people for advice. And that's great. It's good to turn to people for advice. It's biblical to turn to people for advice. But too often we make people's opinion gospel in our lives. And so we turn to advice and we look to advice. But people are only giving you advice out of their own experience out of what they know themselves. And so we've got to take that and match that against the Bible and say, is that really true? Because because oftentimes, good, wise people will give us the very opposite advice of what to do. I found this out in my own life. When I was at First Creek Church, I was saying, should I stay? Should I go? Should I stay? Should I go? And, And I, I couldn't figure out which I, what I was supposed to do. And there were some pastors and wise people telling me to stay. There were some pastors and wise people telling me to go. And I didn't know which to follow. But what God kept speaking to me at that point is, is vision. He kept telling me, keep pressing forward in vision and what God is calling you to do and, and what I'm calling you to do. And when, when I pressed into that, when, and I, I began to search for the right biblical principles. Because what I found is, is if I can find the right principles and become the right person, God will show me the right path. 
that if I, it's not about advice. Those are things that can help me, that can speak into me. But ultimately, I've got to base my life on biblical principles. And more than that, I've got to base my life on the person of Jesus Christ. And what I've found about God is more than giving us advice about what to do in this or that situation, what he's going to tell us is become the right person and I'll show you the right path because that takes faith in our life. The other way we can respond to worry is, is we can respond in, instead of prayer, we can respond out of our own performance. And we can say, it's all about what I do. And so I like, I, I'm a person, I have a to-do list. And I'm saying, can I, should I do this or that or this or that or this? Or, or I need to do this and this and this and this when I'm facing something that could be worrisome to me. And so I, I have this list. Well, working out of our performance a lot of times can be difficult too. Because when we're so focused on our performance, oftentimes our, our focus narrows. And we focus only on a few things, and we only have our own perspective to worry about in our performance. And so we can be working hard and, and making a lot of headway, but we're not necessarily, but are we going to the right direction? Are we going to the right place that we want to go to, to the right destination? That's what, what being able to turn to prayer does. It lifts our perspective above that, our performance, and it helps us to see what God ultimately wants in our life, it, to our, a greater purpose in our life. What is God, God, what do you want in my life? God, what's your perspective for my life? God, what, what do you, where do you, is the place that you'd like to see me go? That's ultimately where we need to head, because God wants to, to give us a greater perspective, and that is really what, what praying Praying about everything is all about. It's all about perspective. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. It's giving us perspective. So we don't want to turn to people or performance as our first response to, to things that worry us. But what we do want to do is we want to, to thank God. That we want, it, says, it says pray to God with thanksgiving. That we need to thank God for everything that he's done. So in other words, when you face a, wor- a situation that is, is causing you to worry, it's causing you to dwell on the difficulties, it seems like it's such a tough situation, the first thing you do, I want to be very practical here, the first thing you do is breathe. Just, everybody do, do this with me. Just breathe. Just breathe and let it out and know that you are still alive. That breath you just breathe is from God. That God is still with you because if he didn't, if he wasn't, you wouldn't be able to breathe. So breathe. And then pray. Pray to God, thanking God for what, he wa- for what he's already given you. Because God's already given you some good stuff. You see, when, when we, we worry, our perspective is so much about what we don't have and what we, what we can't do and, and all these negative things. But when we turn our perspective around through prayer, it focuses on what God is doing and has done in our life. And then we begin to see, oh, I have some, some good things. So um, my wife and I, we just celebrated our 14 years of marriage Thank you, thank you. <laughs> um, 14 years of marriage on Wednesday. And one of the things we did is we went and saw Spider-Man Far From Home. And I thought it was a cute movie. Story was a little far-fetched. 
but it was it was a it was it was cool. I I'd recommend it overall. Um, so, but uh, there was one p- part in that movie that I really liked, and the part was um, Spider-Man, Peter Parker. He's messed up. I won't tell you how, but he's messed up, and um, he's with Happy, and they're they're in their plane. And, and he's like, I don't have anything. I don't know what I can do. Everything is bad. I don't know how I can overcome this. And, and um, Happy, who's the character that's kind of the security guard, the one that's kind of the, the wise sage in the situation, he turns to Peter and says, Peter, Tony believed in you. Tony gave you, Tony Stark gave you the keys to the kingdom. And, and so it was really cool there because I kind of felt like God. I was thinking about my talk and, God, what do you want for this? And, and I, I just felt like God was speaking to me, I know, speaking to me through Spider-Man movie. It all, all comes weird ways. But, but it was um, speaking to me through this movie that oftentimes in our lives, we get to the point where we're like, man, I, I, there's nothing I can do. The problem's so great. It's, it, there's, it's just too, too terrible. Uh, I'm never going to be able to do anything. I don't have anything. But then God says, you know what? I'm here. I believe in you. You've got the presence of the almighty creator of the universe that is with you. You've got a God that is greater than any problem that you can face. So how can we say that the problem is too big for us to be able to overcome? Because yeah, maybe it is, but it's never too great for God to overcome. And he is always near us. And because of that now, we can have a faith that can say, I've got something to move this mountain because I've got a God that is greater than the mountain that is in in front of me. I, so I can, I can always do something. And for me, this is real because I remember um, when I was in a coma and I didn't have anything. I had just come out of a coma for two weeks and it was a medically induced coma. I was, I was so sick. I wasn't sure what my life was going to be like. But I can tell you the one thing that I experienced while I was in that coma was that I, I, I was thankful. I was thankful that I was alive. I was, I was thankful that, that I, I had a family. I, I, was, I was thankful that I still had opportunities in front of me. See, so often in our life, in the midst of worry, the things that we could be thankful for fall by the wayside. And we don't take value and take account of the things that we have. Like, have you ever gone to the store and bought something and then went back home, opened your fridge and like, I have it. I just, I now have two of them. Like, I've done that with mustard. I don't know how many times. Like, I didn't know I had so much mustard in my fridge. My wife is, is going like this right now because she's like, yes. Why do you do that with mustard? I don't know why. Because I, like, I probably like mustard the most. Like, my son doesn't even like mustard, but that's besides the point. But, you know, have you ever done that where you're like, man, I really have this? And so Paul is saying, don't be, don't be worried, but, but be, be thankful but you're saying, okay, well, I don't worry about things, but okay, now, what does that mean? I, like, I never, just don't worry, just let everything pass me by and just let things go by. Like, what does that really mean? Well, well Paul, in, um, in Philippians 2.20, he says this. He says, I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare, or who has a genuine concern about your welfare. See, that word, genuine concern, genuinely caring, that word is merimnate. It's the same word we looked at before. 
about marinating in your, your, your worries. And, and so at one point, it can be a worry. Sorry, puberty again, apparently. At one point, it can be a worry. But on, in another way, it can be a genuine concern. And what causes it to be a genuine concern? In Philippians 2.20, Paul is talking about that Timothy has a genuine concern. He has marinate in the context of, about others. It's not about himself. He's not dwelling on the troubles about himself, but he's caring about others. It's also real. It's genuine, a genuine concern. He's focused on something that is real and present in front of him. And also, finally, it's, it's, it's something that's it's a genuine concern. It's, it's real, it's, it's present, but it's also something they can do something about. It's, he's talking about it in the context of, he has this genuine concern, so I'm sending him to you. Here's what I'm doing. And I believe that we, we can't be worried, but we can have a genuine concern. And when we have a genuine concern, we can turn to God in prayer and ask God. Because there's only so much that we can do. And, and so we turn to God in prayer and say, God, I've done what I can do. Now I'm turning to prayer to you to believe that you can do what only you can do now, God. And so I need you to show up. And so then we ask God that he, in, through prayer that he would do something, that he would show up, that he would help us in the midst of this time. And as we, we ask God, what we do is we, we begin to surrender ourselves. See, like I said, worry has at its core doubt. Worry is about, in my power, what can I do? Worry is about the threat, the, the obstacle is bigger than me. And so worry at its core really is sin. Worry is not a condition to be managed. Worry is a sin to repent of. Worry is, is, is a lack of faith. It's not believing that God is near and that God is present and that God is able in your circumstances. Some of you, you're, you're, you're worried all the time. You need to repent. You need to turn away from your worry and believe in God that he is able to work in your situation. Worry is not a condition to be managed. It's, it's a sin to be repented of. So we need to ask God, God, you do something in this situation. Because when we do that, we begin to surrender ourselves to God. And we say, God, it's not about my power, it's about your power. God, it's not about my will, it's about your will. This might not look good, it might not feel good, but I know, God, you are good. And so I'm going to follow you in the midst of this situation and believe that you can do something because I'm, and I'm not going to worry because of you. You see, so we need to flip our focus from worry to worship. And this was real for uh, a father. There was a story I read of a pastor was talking about this father. And this father's teenage daughter was rebellious. And so she was going out and doing things she shouldn't be doing. And, and as she was, she was doing that, he was praying for her. They were doing all they could to try to keep her on the right track. But one night, she just didn't come home. And they didn't know what happened to her. They, she hadn't communicated with them. They, were, they were, could be so worried. I, I imagine if this was my daughter, I would be tremendously worried. Um, so the pastor calls him up the next day to see if the daughter had returned home. And she still hadn't re- returned home. It was kind of like mid-morning-ish and still wasn't home. And um, so he asked this dad, he said, aren't you worried about this? Like, 
aren't you worried? And, and the, the, the dad and the mom had done everything they possibly could think of to find their daughter and to make sure that she was okay. But at this point, they had done what they could do. And it was kind of that waiting point where they were waiting for people to call them back. They, were, they didn't know where she was. And so what he t- told the, the pastor this, he said, I don't worry, I worship. I don't worry, I worship. Because you see, you have to realize you only have so much control in your life. You are not the God of your outcomes. God is the God of outcomes. And so you, you have to pray, believe, do all you can do. But at some point, you have to stop worrying and start worshiping. Because you serve the God who is the God of outcomes. And who is the one that is ultimately in control of your situation. And so we've got to ask God, and what Paul promises us, that if we do this, we will have a peace, a peace that passes, surpasses any kind of understanding. When people look at us and say, how are you not freaking out right now in your situation? It's that kind of peace. But the peace is not just peace as an absence of conflict. The peace is a peace of, of everything working well together. It's a peace that, that everything is working well together. Your spirit, mind, body is working well together. You've, you know your identity and worth is in Jesus. You're beginning to have your mind renewed by Christ. You're beginning to be healthier in your body and following Jesus. And, and you're also your relationships are beginning to work well together. The, this is not a passive peace. It's an active peace. And Paul promises we'll have this kind of peace in our life if we pray and turn to God and trust God and believe that he is the God of outcomes. I want that kind of peace in my life that I I could say, God, I believe that you are good and no matter how bad the situation believes, it will not change my belief in you, God. So no matter what happens, Lord, I'm gonna continue to follow you. I'm gonna continue to have faith in you. I'm gonna continue to trust you and I'm gonna continue to lead my family in pursuit of you, Jesus, because I believe, God, no matter how bad the situation, even if the situation is not good, I'm gonna believe that you're good and I'm gonna follow you, God. God, I'm going to follow you. And so that is the kind of peace that I want. But oftentimes, we don't have peace in our lives because we, we have these internal battles inside of every one of us. See, so we can't, we've got to continue to live in this peace. I want this peace, but I don't want this peace kind of in a fleeting sense, that I get it every now and then. I'm going to live in this peace. How do we live in the peace? How do we live in the situation that God wants us to live in. I believe that it's, we do that by f- not just flipping our focus from worry to worship, but fixing our focus on Jesus. To fix our focus on Jesus. In James 4, he talks about these internal battles that keep us from experiencing and living in the peace of God. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you, you do not have because you do not ask God. You see, I believe that there is a battle going on for hearts and minds these days. It, it, it is in the, for profit that, that companies put worry in you. The, you. They want you to be worried that your car is not cool enough. They want you to be worried that your house isn't good enough. They want you to be worried about your life so you'll buy more. 
there is a battle in our hearts and minds. And sometimes that battle is from Hollywood trying to sell values to us that, that aren't biblical, that aren't, aren't Christian. And that there's a, a battle for your hearts and minds in, in the news trying to say all of these different things. And if you just watch the news for 10 minutes, you'll be filled with worry because of all the things that are going on in the world. Do we really need to dissect every situation around the world so that so much so so that we're worried i mean do we really need to know how what's going on in 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 afghanistan to the point where we are worried sitting on the edge of our seats uh, worried about a situation we can do nothing about see there are so many things around us that will come into our hearts and minds and plant a seed of worry plant a seed of doubt plant a seed of, of things that are, that are not of God in our lives. And some of you, you need to delete some people from your phone because they are seed planters of the wrong variety. I, I want to save some people the chance of, of hey, we've got to get rid of some people. I've started unfollowing people on Facebook because they are not the planting the kind of seeds that I want in my life. And I know that I only have one heart and mind, and there's a battle for it, and, and, and I want that battle to be won by Jesus. And so I, there's an internal battle we are all facing, and I want to have that stuff that is continually speaking in me, that is speaking better things, speaking godly things, leading me towards Jesus. I call these thought thieves. There's thought thieves that are, that are coming around. They're trying to distract us from our destiny and preempt our purpose and ultimately steal our joy. These are thought thieves around us. They're, they're thoughts and they're things in our mind that steal our joy, try to distract us from our purpose, things that pull us away from the things of God. We've got to keep the thought thieves at bay. And so what does Paul tell us to do? He says, if you want to have the right thinking in your life, then have a list of things that you're going to think about. And so we, like I mentioned earlier, I have a to-do list. Well, now after this sermon, I want to have a to-think list. Maybe this week, write on, hey, what are the things, the godly things that I'm going to think about? Write out a to-think list. This is what I'm going to think about this week. This is what I'm going to meditate on this week. I'm not going to keep my, I'm not going to let thought thieves come into my mind and steal me away from what God wants to do in my life. And so I'm going to write a to think list. And finally he says you need to live intentionally in your life. He says um, keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. In other words, Paul is saying, you, you've seen me, you've seen how I live, you, I'm telling you what to, th- how to think about great things, but now I'm telling you how to live. And how to live is follow me, follow my example. Do you have a person in your life that is following God, and as they're following God, you can follow them? Do you have a person in your life that is a mentor, that is somebody who is, is a little bit further in the faith than you and, and can speak to, to your to faith. We've got some people in our church that are a little bit older and wiser in their faith. They might be older and wiser in, in age years. They might be, old, might be younger, but they're older and wiser in their faith. And they're people that you can turn to and say, you know what? I wanna, you seem like a good person. You seem like you're really a godly person. You seem like you're, you love Jesus and you're following after Jesus. You know, I want to see, uh, what, what is it? Like, let's just grab coffee sometime and I want to see what makes you tick. 
We've got to have somebody in our life that lives faith for real, that we can follow. As they're following Jesus, we can follow them. So can't, do you have somebody in your life like that? Because here's what Paul promises if we do these things. He said, you, you, if, you, if you pray, you'll get the peace of God. But ultimately, the peace of God is great, but ultimately, I want the God of peace. I want the God who, who is not just going to, I don't want the, just the blessings from God, but I want God himself. And if I have God himself in my situation, if I'm trusting God, if I'm following after God, if I'm loving God, then it stands to reason that all the things that he would give me, that he would want to create in me, would be right there with him. That we can ultimately have the peace of God by having the God of peace in our life. And I pray that for you, that you would have the God of peace in your life, and you would know him, and you would see him. And maybe for you, that's something that you haven't experienced yet. And so I'd just like to pray um, as we close this service. And uh, I just ask everybody to bow their heads and close their eyes. And um, I'm just going to pray a prayer. And, and you can pray this aloud, pray this in your heart, however you see fit. And, and I just want to pray with you. God, I turn to you, Jesus. You've messed up my life. Step forward in faith and receive your purpose in your precious name.